you should just stop controlling interest rates, let them rise to the level they should go to right now, and then you've got the inflation under control, bango. But they don't believe in doing that. That's so with them for many, many Americans. Look, experts, economists have said themselves uh, that this would uh, be uh, the Inflation Reduction Act would um, uh, uh, would would. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 72 of Pounding the Table. We are back in full force. I'm here live with my co-hosts, Anthony Ohion and Joey Salicho. We are going to fully send it this week. Just like FedEx, the market has not been fun. CPI misses, the market expecting the Fed to increase 100 basis points. QT coming, NASDAQ is falling. There's a lot to talk about as always, but... Before we get started, if you guys have not checked us out on StockTwits yet, you're missing out. With over 6 million members in the community, it is our favorite place to go every single day just to get a pulse of the markets. We're constantly checking out the trending tickers to see what everyone is talking about and getting a sense of the sentiment of the market. They just recently launched a new trading platform on Apple iOS where you can go and buy your favorite crypto and stocks all commission-free. So if you have not already, download StockTwits on iOS or Android. Check them out on StockTwits.com, build your watch list, follow your favorite investors and trading, and get a real-time pulse of the markets. Securities transactions are conducted through their broker-dealer, StockTwits Invest. So let's get rocking. CPI misses, Joey. Even after Yellen said we should expect a lower, you know, it was 8.3 versus 8.1. So anybody that goes to the grocery store, I think we realize, you know, inflation's out of control. Our bills have been absolutely insane. And I know when I was reading this, they expected it not to be as bad because energy prices have come down. And you see a lot of commodities did peak. What was it, Tony? Like back in July, you could see they've been yeah. down a little bit. But, you know, still year over year, it's terrible. And just from what I've seen personally, like, yeah, gas prices have come down a bit because we're just unloading our strategic reserves, which I guess that's one way to do it. Um, I don't feel like that's very sustainable in the long term, especially when you see, you know, Democrats were very against filling the strategic reserves when oil was at 20, but now they're just giddy over the idea at 80. So it's just a very odd turn of events on that front. But yeah, when the numbers came out, I wasn't shocked in the least. And I, I was actually shocked that the market was shocked. <laughs> That, uh, that it kind of came in hotter than expected. But I mean, that kind of led to the point where, you know, you talked about the, the possibility of the Fed raising 100 basis points instead of 75 at this next meeting. And I think the, the probability of that happening went from the single digits to something like 37 or 47% as of Friday. So, I mean, the odds are increasing for that. I, I don't know if we'll see that. It would be be quite exciting if they did come out with a hundred. I don't know if they've ever done that before. I actually got to look up because I think, you know, it was almost unprecedented when they came out with a 75 basis point hike, but yeah, yeah, stuff's still running hot. The fed has no idea what to do. And now you get in a situation. I was watching, uh, someone that sounded smart on CNBC, but they were talking about these are situations where the fed basically over tightens and, you know, raises too quickly that, you know, this soft landing that they've always wanted seems so far out of reach that they're just going to go ham on these increases. And I mean, look out below once that crash landing actually does happen. Yeah, Joey, I think that as soon as that CPI came out and you heard the Fed speaker start saying, you know, we need to raise another 75 to 100 bips, the market just like took all that and priced it in right away. But what I think is really interesting is like you're having so many different divergences between things that should not be diverging and things that should be going together and correlating. So there's a good tweet that Kobesi letter wrote on Twitter and it was like markets right now. So number one, the VIX is down despite reversal and SPX down 10% in three weeks. That's not how that's supposed to go. Stocks trading like the bear market just started. It's actually true. Commodities are down like inflation is gone. Another what the F. Bonds are trading like inflation's at 20%. Also, and that so that's another thing I wanted to definitely discuss, like in tandem with the possibility of an additional increase, like you were saying, like the Fed might just go way too hard and then they'll have to ease. Like in my mind, I'm pretty sure that's what they're going to have to do, because you have to keep the constant Ponzi going. So you have to be the creator of the cycles. And so I think that <clears throat> a lot of people were initially really worried about the QT that's going on. Right. So we had what was it? I think we had a five billion increase versus a decrease last week. And I know we have like monthly treasuries rolling off and everything soon. Um, but 
I'm not necessarily sure that they're going to do their $95 billion target this month. I actually don't think that anything the Fed says is ever going to stick. So people have been waiting for that huge QT to start happening. But, you know, it's just them not re-adding to the balance sheet what's expiring. So they're not necessarily fully actively just selling, 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 especially when they're trying to do both. There's only two tools that they have, right? It's the balance sheet that's like the monetary and the fiscal policy. So they have interest rates and then they have what they do with easing and then the balance sheet. If they're doing both types of deflationary, contractionary things, does one break the other? Does one exacerbate the other and cause us to finally go back to 3,400, which is going to be where I know everyone's minds are thinking we have to retrace the move. So we have to go back to 3,400. But we keep getting this reversal pressure that that happens every time the Fed is like super, super hawkish right now. They've done this like 10 times in the last year. They've gone from hawkish to dovish to hawkish to dovish. And it literally is they're just playing on where the market's going. They're using everyone for the exit liquidity because you can't keep going insanely contractionary as everything just keeps diving because they need bids to sell into and or to roll off and to, to raise into and all those things. So it's a very precarious spot. Um, one last thing that they said, uh, the Kubesi letter wrote, it's like the SPX sentiment is like at that 5,000. And it's shocking that after all these different things that have happened to the market to cause it, that should cause it to just dive 50%. I mean, if you look at the, the conditions right now, it's definitely worse than at like the beginning of the pandemic. And when we shut everything down, the markets crashed 50% in like three weeks and then bounced right away because of all this easing. So I wonder if the Fed's trying to like create another situation where the market's going to go down to, you know, 3,400 or 3,250, kind of those huge, huge levels, and then ease it back with whatever is going to like have less long-term lasting effects. I don't know. We'll see. Right. So is that that same tweet actually had pulled up because I, I wanted to bring up the same thing where, yeah, you're talking about, you know, these five main things that just are trading all over the place. And near the end of the tweet goes, the system is collapsing. So yeah, when you see the these five big gauges, it's almost like, say you're in an airplane, you just see these main gauges just like spiraling uncontrollably, just not giving you a solid reading. It's That's pretty much what it is. Like if, if the US economy were a plane, like no one knows what the hell is going on and the pilot's blind. So you, it's just a double whammy of not knowing what's going to happen. And it, it's an ugly situation. Yeah. And I think what's a, another really interesting thing to think about, Joey, is that like, if the market is like, you know, going to collapse and like the pond is going to collapse, is anything the Fed's going to be able to do going to matter in the short run? Who knows? Like maybe it'll take just time. And that's kind of like where we're talking. Yeah, they don't know what's going to happen. So they're just going to raise so fast, so fast, because when something does happen that's overly bad, then at least they can say they're doing something by cutting rates, cutting rates, cutting rates. Yeah, mm. uh, The problem is they have not been unwinding the balance sheet like for crap. Like, you know, they should have accelerated that. They should have been doing, you know, quicker increases while unwinding this balance sheet quicker. But no, they're, they're, that balance sheet's still so beefy. Rates still aren't nearly where they need to be. Then it's and like, what? Yeah. How is Rex this? Always. How, like, it's not, it's, you can't. Like, that's the problem. <laughs> they should have been increasing rates like six months before. They should have been unwinding the balance sheet quicker. Like, and they should have stopped buying so much on the balance sheet every month when they were saying that they're like, this is what people like last November, they're like, oh, the Fed's going to start QT. It's almost this November. And they're, they're just now maybe kind of possibly starting. And so that's yeah. the craziest part. And there's a two month lag on all this data at least, right? Like from the time you pull the oil out of the ground, from the time the Fed sees the inflation data that also has the lag because the prices go into the data that the Fed- they hold off though on QT for like a, a little longer? The only way it would matter is if it was a Republican in office because Democrats are buying oil at 80 a barrel, not negative 37. The problem is they're not making it more difficult on the market or they didn't when times were good. So mm. now they're, they're being forced to make these moves when the market's bad. And that would, that's what makes bad seem horrible. And the problem is they have to keep doing it because then to be able to come out of this is when they, yeah, put rates back at zero and start loading up the balance sheet. But it's, they the didn't do the other side of the coin to get to where we need to be. So if they start, you know, uh, cutting rates and loading the balance sheet again, it's like, they're going to be in such a bad spot next time around that it, it'd be more of a ticking time bomb than it already is. So yes. this is uh, where, like we've said for months now, that this Fed is just, we don't know what they're doing. 
And they don't know what they're doing, Joey. They don't know. Um, Speaking of the Fed, FedEx, they kind of, you know, that is that a leading indicator, right? We just saw Twilio did some layoffs last week, 800 people. So yeah, 11% of the workforce. And and they were saying they're being very selective, which I found that to be kind of, kind of rough (laughs) where. It's like, hey, yeah, we're going to make sure we get rid of the worst people. Yeah, it's like, that's really going to make like, all right, you're that as an employee. Yeah. I, mean, I said so, that such a long time ago on this, on one of these. That's what happens with every company, right? They, they're not firing the, the best people. I mean, they, sometimes they will fire someone, you know, more expensive, but it's, you know, they're looking at individuals that they produce. Utility. But I, we said this on like, I don't remember which pod, but it was many pods I said this on. And it was a long time ago where I was like, you'd be surprised. But in 10 years, I think half the workforce will be not in work and we'll have to do some form of UB. Yeah. UB. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, think about it logically. Like if the only way to get through this is by like not having to spend a lot of money, you're going to automate and automation's cheaper. And then people yeah. shit out of luck. And that's just the way the cookie crumbles. They will own nothing and they will like it. And it's unfortunate. <laughs> and that's just the world we're going to be living in. And the biggest thing that I think I want to hammer home right now, Avi, and I know the like the, the, the midterm run up, whether it's there or not, the Democrats have literally are not looking at anything right now. They're just like, oh, maybe I can like get some votes here or there. Like the Fed has their blinders on because they know that if they like Joey was saying, if they start to do things backwards and they don't keep pressing when inflation's eight percent, they are not going to get out of this if they start easing. Now, imagine if they started easing right now. Imagine if they did something to make the market go up. Do you know what would happen? It would go down to like twenty five hundred. Because then the Fed's just trading with the economy. Like the Fed's just buying and selling when they want, basically, effectively. And like, it's just not possible. Like even Trump couldn't have a say right now. So that's the craziest part. It is far gone to the point where nobody cares who's in office. Democrats and Republicans won't exist in 10 years anyway, because once we get to 2030, we'll have polarity of of like religion and secularism, and then it's just going to go away. So that's just the way the cookie's going to crumble in America, thank God. But- Independence 2024 is my new call. <laughs> 2024. Well, let's go back to FedEx. So, <laughs> so FedEx come out, basically pre-announces horrible, horrible earnings. And, and that kind of set the market on fire. So we know hey, inflation's out of control. People are going to buy less. And, you know, the Fed's raising rates. So they're, they're big purchases. They're forcing the slowdown when it comes to purchases of homes and cars and everything like that. But yeah, so FedEx basically says the the shipping volume isn't where they expected it to be. And then he he makes it kind of worse saying, you know, we're entering a global recession, that things are are much worse than it is. Then you've got companies like International Paper and uh, Packaging Corporation America, their stocks start tanking because, hey, you know, people aren't shipping stuff. There's not as big of a demand for cardboard boxes as you would have thought. So it's kind of something that people would expect in a worldwide slowdown. Now we knew... The U.S. economy is already in recession, has been so, depending on how you define what a recession is. If you use, you know, the textbook terms, we've been in one for a while now, and you look globally, and the stuff going on in Europe, like the energy crisis, everything else going on over there, their inflation's out of control. Like, clearly- That's really sad over there. Yeah, it's a a horrible situation there, but yeah, you've got all these economies around the world that are bad, and it, it took like the FedEx CEO- I guess, making it clear to everybody, someone that has their hand on the pulse of the global economy saying what we all kind of expected, just kind of uh, made it a reality for everybody. So yeah, you know, FedEx and UPS are always one of those gauges of, of who's shipping what. Now, they don't have all of Amazon's activity, but it, that was kind of the big thing that we saw from them. And now people are, are more questioning, mixing that almost with what the Fed said, saying, okay, it's not just the U.S., it's the whole world. You know, how mm. bad could this get systemically? Joey, let me, let me, you know, poke your brain for a second here and see what you think. Amazon, obviously, is like trying to bring shipping in-house, trying to compete with the way that they're doing shipping. And Amazon's obviously such a large percentage of what's being shipped now. But also, there are a lot of apps now that are being created. It's like this whole, rev- and I'm sure this will, one of these will IPO, and I will definitely be a buyer of like, for example, whatnot. That's the name of the company. But there's a lot of like streaming apps now where people are selling things. And the only way that people send things out is through USPS because there's a company called Shippo, which makes the prepackaging labels. Now, I don't know 
what percentage it is. And I don't know like where, you know, what's what's the situation with all that. But I do think that there's like something to be said for just that industry changing because Amazon's, you know, trying to bring it in-house because there's other companies that are using these like third-party prepaid shipping labels versus FedEx. So I wonder if it's just like, hey, FedEx is the most expensive one out of all of these, even though it's the fastest, quote unquote, but it is very much so very expensive. Are people just not using FedEx and just using USPS because it's cheaper? I mean, that makes sense. Uh, well, I think of, you know, everything that I get that comes from Amazon. Now there is a fulfillment center somewhat close to me, but you know, everything I ever order from Amazon either comes directly from a prime van or comes from USPS. So, and you know, if you order from Poshmark or all these other big sites, yeah, right. they're all USPS labels. Um, uh, almost so. Lindsay was just saying in the background, she goes, I return things to Amazon. So there's a free drop off with USPS. So I'm, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Whether it's USPS or Kohl's or, or somewhere. Yeah. It's so, yeah, they're removing the need for USPS or for UPS and FedEx out of it. And, you know, I even look at, I always like to see, you know, where I always order stuff from. And, you know, I always get, you know, it turns out to be Shopify. So it pops up on the shop app, whether it's Viore or, um, you know, anything else that I order. And yeah, it's all coming USPS, which which is funny. So yeah, I definitely think you're onto something with that, Tony, that people are looking for the lower cost ways. Now I know USPS has been criticized because they're almost, you know, shipping at a loss and kind of being a partner of all the other big shippers. But yeah, it's it's definitely an issue there. And I I think, you know, it could be that they the competition of Amazon is basically forcing people to do that. And Jeff Bezos has always lived by that whole create, you know, your margin is my opportunity. So he right. might be pricing out UPS and FedEx and they're going to have to, you know, get with it or get out of the way. And I think it's because of the economy too, right? Like obviously like you go to dinner and like most people, they're not going to buy the ribeye anymore. They're going to buy a, like a salad and maybe, maybe, maybe no appetizer, right? And like, you're going to tip a little less than you used to. Like you're going to buy like the slightly cheaper option and you're going to pay for that shipping, whether it takes two days more, it costs half the price. So I just think people are going for the lowest option. And I'll tell you what piece of data actually gets me going with that. I have this chart here, the quarterly change in US deposits at banks. Take take a look at that, guys. Take take a look at this right here. It, 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 is, it is a fat, fat down candle. It is like the only one in the last decade that's even remotely that fat. So people are taking cash out of the banks. And why? They got shit to spend. People are not storing money in the bank because you only store money in the bank when you make more than you spend. So people are down atrocious. And then also, when you look over here and just realize that, Gary. <laughs> look at the, there's a, there was a tweet that came out with Fidelity the other day. And it's saying that like, I think about 30% of all the accounts that were over a million dollars are no longer over a million dollars. So like, so is this four billion? What's the math on this? It's, it's negative 0.25 and this is in... It, Less so the math, more so the actual degree of like comparative for month over month, right? Like the last ones were like slightly a little bit down. This one's like a freaking huge limit down bank deposit run, right? So even the US, which is infinitely stronger than any other country by a mile in their banking system, because we are, we are, we are the standard for all commodities and everything. Like we are the standard for FX. We're the standard for pairs. We are, we are that guy. So not. The, the fact that we're getting diddled, think about what happens in every other country, right? Like think about how far you can put money in, I think like what I think it's a, either Venezuela, Argentinian bank, and you can get 75% on your money in a year, almost, as long as it's still there in a year. So like, that's actually how sus all this is. People are begging well, a lot for of, and deposit. A lot of the world that's like just unbanked and, I, and I'm seeing it, you know, firsthand. And I think a lot of these unbanked countries are just going to go jump right into crypto. It's like they kind of skipped, you know, the, the fiat and banking. And in LATAM, like you're talking about with Venezuela, they don't trust their banking system, right? And so like America, you think we still trust our banking system. And that's why I don't think crypto is taking off as much here as in, you know, Africa, UAE or, you know, LATAM. But it, it's interesting if people, I mean, I, I think I still trust our banking system. Like I, I feel Ooh, money money on it. that's funny. No, I, I, I do. But like, it is interesting to see this. I, this is Avi, if there's more there. consecutive months of that, what will happen is the small regional banks and the small like savings and loans and unions around will fall. And then 
it gets bigger and bigger all the way up to the. I mean, I'm not saying it can. I mean, it can happen, but I'm not saying. It will. Well, I think we're going to do a lot of that. I think just in general, not only banks, but I think a lot of these, like I was explaining this to someone, you know, like Salesforce, that level's safe. Datadog, that level's probably safe. But like below that, it starts to you start to look at some of these companies that are just not making money. And if we enter a bear, you know, market for what? we are in a bear market for a right. <laughs> it's fair. And, well, you and, know, it's and, crazy. And news, though, I think there's just gonna you're gonna see a lot of merger. We've been talking about this for a while, and we've started to see them, but. I don't think we've seen it yet. You know, like, I don't think you can get the mergers right now, Avi. I don't think well, it's these companies are about to go bankrupt. They may sell for pennies on the dollar. Maybe. But here's the thing, too. If you try to do a merger right now, not all mergers are in stock and not all mergers are in cash. A lot of them do a combo, right? So if your share price is down, you're relinquishing your equity to investors and people don't like that. The only time that it really happens is when things are busting us. And see, so like last year when we were talking about all these M&As, it was when Fang and other big, huge companies were chilling and the other ones were dying. So if both are dying, less likelihood to merge. Also, if you go and you take a loan, right? Like before people would take loans, right? Like Apple, Facebook, all these companies, they take loans to buy things. They are in debt out the wazoo, even though they have mad cash because they it's smarter to pay with debt, right? Like you don't have to pay tax on debt. You can take a $100 billion loan out, buy something, have it double, and you don't pay tax. So there's no incentive for someone to spend the cash that they have in the bank versus like the debt. And so the issue now is that if you buy debt, it's not free debt anymore. The debt now is crazy. Mortgage rates are 6%. The housing market is going to go insanely down. And so like anything that's connected to getting money right now, it's just not getting got. So I'm, I think that we're not going to see mergers and anything like that for quite some time, even if everything crashes because everything will continue to crash. So the other thing is uh, on this whole M&A front is companies are going to look at, you know, recent acquisitions and how the market has taken those. So we go back to the Microsoft Activision deal, which getting a lot of scrutiny. And I would love to see that deal fall apart because then not only does Microsoft save themselves $68, $69 billion to buy them. And, you know, Activision has some issues going on right now. It's only a $3 billion breakup fee. Imagine what Microsoft could use that same amount of cash for next year if we do enter a really bad recession. Number two is you've got Adobe, which you know is kind of next on our list to talk about. They made one of the dumbest acquisitions I've seen in the last crap. They, this could be the worst acquisition I've ever seen because, okay, so you got this company, Figma, that is trading at 50 times sales uh, according to this acquisition price. So it was doing like $500 million in recurring revenue and Adobe up and spends $20 billion to acquire them. Now, its last uh, valuation, I think, was $10 billion last year. So if you think about where private market valuations have gone since last year, you know, most cut in half or even more. You look at Instacart, Klarna, all the big boys, all of them have seen significant slashes to their valuations. And yet it's like Adobe didn't get the memo and goes and spends $20 billion to add $500 million in revenue. I don't care how fast the company's growing. I don't care that their margins are 90%. That is one of the dumbest acquisitions I've ever seen. And the stock reacted accordingly by absolutely tanking. And then they caught a slew of downgrades on Friday. And you know, that's one, I, I love Adobe's and its product suite, but that acquisition made it on like the no fly list for me because it shows me that management is almost freaking out that their growth is slowing and they'll do anything to try to spur growth. But overspending at that magnitude to acquire something like Figma shows me that, hey, th this management team is in over their heads and they don't know what to do. Yeah. I think you agree with me on that one, Tony. This was a definitely acquisition. Like we were talking about this earlier, Joey, you were saying that, I mean, we were talking about how many companies they could have bought with that money. Honestly, they should have forked up a little bit more, right? Like, I love what you said, like buying Autodesk for like 45 billion or whatever. That would have been the GGs, like doing that or even buying How about Adobe buying Autodesk. Yep. Yeah, because if they spent $20 billion on Figma that was doing $500 million in revenue and say they go buy Autodesk. That's like five billion. billion. Now that's a $45 billion because it'd be a massive deal. But think of the revenue base of Autodesk. Think of all the recurring revenues. Like I was thinking Autodesk, you guys were talking about. So I was like, why the hell? No, no. Yeah. So like they could have bought, we talked about DocuSign to add to Adobe Sign. And they Unity. Could have Adobe or, and uh, yeah, they could have bought DocuSign and Unity. Or, you know, there's deals they could have done that would have added significantly more revenue at a higher margin. Now, I don't know if Figma's profitable or not. Even then, it's not going to move the needle enough. But yeah, it showed like 
they could have spent that money so well that it's just kind of ridiculous that they they did that. And it kind of shows that they were freaking out that they thought, you know, Figma could steal their user base long term and they wanted to acquire it before it became an issue. But it's like just create a better product suite that keeps people here. Don't don't overspend to take out a competitor. That's just ridiculous. Dude, what they could have done, Joey, is just bought any of these other companies, waited like four or five months for Figma to actually eat shit, and then bought Figma for like 10 bill. That's the thing. So if Figma's last last valued at 10 billion, it's like the chances are the valuation is closer to four or five billion dollars mm-hmm. today. Or if you look at five hundred million dollars in sales, I mean. Honestly, uh, even if it's growing triple digits in this market, that trades at maybe 10 times sales. Maybe. Yeah. So you're talking they should have spent 5 billion, not 20. You would have had enough left over to buy uh, Unity and what, Procore at, at that cost. It's, it's ridiculous. And I know they did, did all the interviews on CNBC, all this to try to justify that massive mistake. But it's like, sorry, man, it doesn't matter what you say that was a ridiculous acquisition and you're going to massively regret this. Yeah. I mean, Joey, it's, it's a perfect, uh, perfect segue into what something Druckenmiller said. And he's like, I've been doing this for 45 years. And between the pandemic, the war, crazy policy response in the US and worldwide is the hardest environment I've ever encountered in trying to forecast the next six to 12 months. Why would Adobe try to factor in the next five years of growth when you, you know, the next six or 12 months are completely up in the air and Adobe could already go down, right? Like 50% more from here. What if Adobe just gets completely wrecked because they did this huge acquisition with $20 billion that they could have used to save themselves in some other way? Or who knows, they could have picked up Autodesk for 20 billion. Imagine that everything crashes and Adobe was like around 400 before all this stupidity. And if they go down to maybe 300 normally or 250, they could still buy Autodesk for half the price. Exactly. And so that's why, uh, so like I own Microsoft and that's something why I hope that this deal gets blocked for Activision. Yeah, they have to pay a $3 billion breakup fee um, if this happens, but that then means that they've got, you know, 65 billion plus dollars that they pretty much allocated somewhere else that is now freed up. Now they can wait for this market to worsen over the next 12 months. And they could buy multiple companies on the absolute cheap. If they want to go after the gaming space, they want to do something else. Like I would rather these companies have this massive cash hoard and just wait. So yeah, that's where like Adobe's management team, if they really wanted to say, hey, we got $20 billion to spend on M&A, they could have been like, hey, let's wait six to 12 months because this market is horrible. Look at everything that we just saw. And yeah, they might've been in talks for the last two months, but things were just as bad two months ago as they are today that they should have just known, pump the brakes, let's see where this goes. Imagine how many companies we could buy in 12 months with this same amount of cash. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just one of those deals that I was, I was scratching my head and I've used Figma before. It's nothing special to me. Maybe I don't get it. But even if it's an absolute game changer, that does not mean you overspend that much. Do we yeah. tag John Danu on this? Uh... In this podcast, the CEO. I mean, if he wants to try to justify it anymore, I heard him talking in circles on CNBC before that I'd just be like, dude, it, it, like uh, every excuse you've given thus far has not been good enough. Like the good old subterfuge. We got yeah. some uh we got some breaking news on uh Twitter, social media. So the US appeals court just upheld the Texas law that will bar large social media companies from banning or censoring users. So this is going to probably go up to the Supreme Court, which is going to be a pretty wild case, I'd imagine. And Twitter has got their own things going on here with with Elon Musk. Twitter, I would never buy because, you know, it's just an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, I left the platform for a reason years ago, and it doesn't seem like it's gotten any better. Um, you look at just about any social platform, like Snapchat has had its problems. I, I'm not a big user of that one. The only, actually, the only social media platform I would want to invest in right now is TikTok, but you know, it's not publicly traded. Yep. It's stealing so much time. They have their own shit with China. They're talking about. Oh yeah. They definitely have issues. They they have privacy concerns and all that. But there was a study that came, I think last week that said like the average TikTok user and the amount they spend. And then Instagram was one tenth of the time that people spend on TikTok. Yeah. Very accurate because I found myself scrolling some funny videos on TikTok and I might glance at Instagram for like a minute. But, but yeah, I think the social space is very tough. 
a meta. Yeah, I, I would not touch Facebook here. I mean, that thing is just. I like meta in like five years. Whenever it, why? No, Bobby, tell, tell me, tell me why. why. Like, here's why. Because what you were saying earlier, I think people are going to be sitting at home. They're going to be playing video games. They're going to be going in the metaverse, and like, I think it's going to take them a while to get there. But I, you can't cut the zuck. I mean, that like eventually. Yes, you can. I think Facebook dies. I think, I think dies Facebook is, as a platform is is already kind of dying off. Obviously, yeah, exactly. Or or Snap and all these what other short things. things. The, the metaverse like, in like five years, unfortunately, I don't want this to happen. Nobody wants to go through Facebook for the metaverse when Zuck can track your IP and crypto is all about anonymity. Like, I think Zuck just diddled himself like after this well, Senate Congress. need to be with crypto. I mean, then you could just go. Well, in. it doesn't matter. You think that you think that 30 and 40 year olds are like the generation that matter for so oh, they have TikTok? Instagram, dude. <laughs> like Instagram oh, after 30 and yes, they do, Avi. Okay, so this is how it works. Oh, I'll go tell on. You, I, I, I'm the only person. Virtually. I'm the and they're not going to do it on Facebook. I guarantee you that. I'm the only person that actually has a pulse on what's social these days and i'm telling you facebook's dead and i'm telling you that instagram will die and tiktok's algo is like joey said it'll it'll addict anyone my mom it's amazing on tiktok yeah, okay yeah. sometimes i don't even know how i got into TikTok. exactly like, they don't even know an hour into the thing you only know two hours later when your thumbs hurt so here's the thing if facebook's all about like just honestly middle-aged to old people using it what happens when like you know as time goes on, there's like a different shift, right? And like no kid my age or younger is even has a Facebook, Avi. Like I don't even go. I'll buy the next Instagram though. I know. So that's the thing. It's TikTok. That's the next Instagram. But TikTok will get overtaken at some point. It won't. It simply won't. TikTok is the number one best startup of all time. People would say that about Facebook, you know, years ago. But I'm just saying technology. How are you? How are you still bullish on Facebook? Well, I'm saying it's five years from now. I don't think the the next five years will do much. You guys are going back and forth on the same thing. So Tony's right that, yeah, these certain certain platforms are trending, but the companies have to constantly acquire like the next big thing if they're not building it themselves. So Facebook or Meta, which I feel like they should have changed the name to Instagram and then to Meta once that became a bigger thing. But that's a whole other conversation. So think of like Mash Group. You know, Match.com was a big thing in online dating. Then they, they keep acquiring other brands or like they launched Tinder, um, Hinge. Like you got to constantly keep launching these things that people get onto. Now, uh, Facebook, they've made a bunch of small acquisitions. You look at their acquisition history, they've made a lot of deals. But I feel like, you know, they should have made the Snapchat deal happen when that thing took off. Or, you know, they, they've got to keep acquiring the new thing. But they're a serial copycat. Like that's always been what they've done. You know, yeah. Snapchat took off. They had Instagram with their filters and sends and all that. Um, and, and they've had a lot that work out, but then they had, you know, like they tried to do their version of Pinterest and it didn't work out. They shut that down. They always have where they're trying to do their versions of other things. And it just has not picked up that I feel like they're going to have to make a massive deal in order to have that next big shiny brand to go with Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp. But then you get in the situation where they are so big and have such a large share that it could get scrutinized and actually blocked. So when you're saying, how do you you know, look 10 years from now and not own it. I look at it and I compare it to Google and like their properties that if I want access to the advertising space, but still be diversified across different industries, like you compare Google and Facebook, even though Facebook's more attractive on the valuation front, Google's properties are significantly more valuable over the long term that I compare those two. And it's like, I want to buy more Google here and just avoid meta entirely until something, something changes and and, you know, justifies me wanting to acquire or want, wanting me to invest in it. So it's, it's a just really tough space. And I definitely feel like they are losing ground to other players, especially TikTok. Yeah, I won't deny that the Facebook property as a whole. Yes, like Facebook itself, right? And then I think Instagram potentially could die off. Like, I honestly don't. I'm on Twitter the most. So... That's just, I don't know. I just constantly need to have news. That's just who I am. But I, I know my wife, all like most of my friends are on Instagram the most. Kids that are in high school, no one texts. They all just go on Snapchat to text. Yeah. But the one thing that I will say is like Snapchat, the TikTok, actually TikTok's users are, are older than I thought. But Snapchat users, like they just don't have the buying power. So all these brands are doing advertisements, but they're all in high school, right. have no money to spend. So it's like, 
they're not probably getting the CPMs that a Facebook where these older people have money to actually spend and Instagram and such. Like that's not even where I think Meta, you know, is is going to go. And I think it will take them five years. Like again, I think it will take five years. But I, I do see this direction that you were talking about, Tony, earlier in the podcast, where like there are going to be machines to take the jobs of all the McDonald's workers, right? Like uh-huh. AI is going to get so good that you know people that you when you call someone at, at Delta, you'll think you were talking to someone, but that's going to be an AI bot, right? So well, so using this exact logic that you're talking about, so like Facebook got so valuable because their user base, you know, that using the platform, they have the money to acquire or, you know, purchase something that they see in those advertisements. So TikTok, yeah, their average age, those people are, you know, people with purchasing power that actually make decisions. And there's a lot of ads that I come across. I'm like, oh yeah, these are cool looking supplements or a new protein, whatever. But then, you know, if that's the the case, then Snapchat would be very attracted here that, yeah, their growth rate slowed, but if they have such a stranglehold on Gen Z that people use it for like everything, whether it's sending money, texting, everything, kind of like we use WhatsApp, younger kids are using Snapchat, then it's almost like their user base could be five, six years from just absolutely exploding. So but here's the thing, we're recorded though, it's like, like the data it. centers that they have, like no, no one really thinks about that. Like Snapchat, I, I believe they're still using Google Cloud as, as like, they don't have the amount of data centers. So if people like leave Facebook, they could use, you know, tra- I don't know how that fucking works. I'm in, in sales. I'm always like, just click the button, guys. And it'll, it'll work. But you could I mean, imagine shift some of that data from Facebook dying off into Meta. And then they, this the massive amount of money that Snapchat will have to go and spend to build their own data centers. They can't scale as fast as they think they want to be able to. So that's something to always kind of think about. Here's another thing, just the last part of this. Everything that we're talking about, about where these things can go, TikTok's already there. You can go on TikTok and you can buy whatever the hell you want instantly with people there. And I'll tell you just from my own personal experience with this new business I'm starting, you can make a ton of money selling live like this, especially when you combine it with the algo for exactly what people want to buy. That is exactly what TikTok's doing. You go on TikTok and you search up anything, you can buy collectible cards that get ripped in front of you. You can have a lady who has a big vat of rice. Okay, literally, I've, I've watched this lady, huge vat of rice with tons Those of frittles rice. inside. No, no, no. It's like a, it's a weird little thing that looks like, it's a tumble kind like of thing. Like a witch's yeah. cauldron, a cauldron. And, and, it, and a cauldron, basically, and it moves. And so what happens is like the crystal, this, there's people working with this lady to just keep throwing in like crystals. Right. And people pay $60 a scoop for this. Okay. The, the difference... And what Facebook is and what TikTok is, is absolutely unbelievable. TikTok, if anything, will buy Facebook and just change it all. I will make that car right now. Like, I, I think I Facebook had an opportunity. Facebook fucked it. And that's it. Like, you're not going to get the users that are new. I think they're in their, their four or five year drought right now. And then I think they're in their four or five year drought. I think they'll be like Microsoft. They, you know, take they will simply not. Bro, it's such a obvious. No. Fuck. <laughs> Zero percent. I'll bet you a thousand. My my bet is again just like that, that people will need to be on UBI. There's a lot of people that are going to be at home and, and they'll spend their time on TikTok. They're going to no. They're going to be playing games and they're going to be on TikTok. I don't know. We'll find out. We will find out. My okay, generation. Last thing. Last thing to kind of roll this around is you know we we poked holes in both sides of this so much that Facebook slash Meta clearly does not follow the Kiss method of investing right now. So that that's kind of how I've justified is like this is there's too many negatives to go against. The positive is it's very cheap. The problem is if the best argument for a stock is that it's very cheap, you can't you can't just go off that because what's to stop this from going from 13 times forward to 12 or 11 or 10? Like you you just can't or zero. There's no reason it can't. So that's where it's like this this seems like a value trap to me. And you know, I thought it's very attractive like 180. And it just keeps going. So that's where it's like, okay, if something's cheap and just continues to go down, this could just be the ultimate value trap. What's to stop it to go, you know, eight times or seven times? Like, I just don't know. But I know there's other companies that are trading significantly higher valuations, whether that's a Google or an Amazon, a, a Microsoft for that matter, that if they go lower, I would be confident to add to my position where Meta, if I bought it, it would almost feel like more of a trade that if it surged, I'd kick it. Uh-huh. If it came down, I would just want to cut my losses and walk away. And if that's the mindset I have going into an investment, I just I just don't touch it at all. 
they should have full sped into the metaverse whole all that thing when it was like they they, it came in like right at the end and that's just like even worse you know like if they were in right as it was happening at the beginning i'm sure they would have captured a huge market that would have given it the chance and the legs to like keep iterating and building and acquiring like like you said joey they're in that tough spot with like if they buy snapchat are they like uh, you know are they getting closer to being the monopoly like congress hates zuck already yes so they like they already had oculus so i feel like right universe is all the rage just ride the wave and say hey by the way you know we own oculus and like 90 percent of headset sales are our headsets like be like that but yeah they went like all in on the metaverse it's seen at least like the the name and everything like that (laughs) yeah i think they did it at the wrong time and you know when you saw unity and all these other ones roblox everything kind of peak out you know, that's they're they're changing their name too, and it just kind of like been a, a massive fall from grace. But yeah, listen, I, and again, I'd say for five years, I think you guys are right. But I think eventually, we unfortunately, and I don't want to live in this metaverse type of world, but I think you know there'll there'll be a, a time where you go shopping, you just go to Instagram and all these retails that you. But that's already happened. You know, uh, it's hard for me to say that because there's yeah, a not, not, that, not in a ubiqu- like in a ubiquitous yes. way. Where there is a ubiquitous way. I mean, yeah, I think it's a generational like, thing. Thirty percent or forty percent of purchases you go try on in a digital mall. Like, why would you go to the mall if you can actually try it on right. with VR? And I think they have the relationships, they have the data centers to handle something like this. I think it gave them five years. It may just sit and do nothing or go like a little bit lower. I don't see it dropping another 30, 40%. And I think the upside in five years is higher, but. Yeah, see, if they can show some accelerating growth, you know, things start to improve, you know, over the next couple of years, it's definitely one that I would revisit and could see like, or justify an investment. But, you know, right now it's almost like you're trying to pick a bottom. I would rather let it bottom out on its own and then kind of like buying the way up as the fundamentals improve. And that could be, you know, they crush an urge report, surge 20%, and then it keeps running up. Then you finally regain confidence. But this is what a situation where it's a falling knife, like trying to catch bottom. I would much rather let this bottom out on its own if the fundamentals improve and then buy it on the way back up. So yeah, if, if like five years out is your justification and you want to start buying slowly, but uh, you know, I, I've always found it much easier buying something on the upswing than trying to pick a bond. Yeah, you're not wrong. Where's the bond? Bu- bu- Lilio, though, I need it. Where, where's zero? Well, if you want to buy something, yeah, Avi, Avi, it's, uh, we, I said this when you were like, we were talking about how it's going to zero. When we were talking about how it's going to do on like, it doesn't matter, like down to it's shit. It's been getting like, crushed for sure. And, but, and it will keep getting crushed. Obviously. They just laid off 800. They're supposed to do profitability by next, I think it's next quarter. All right. Sure. If, if, if they do, then they maybe don't go to zero. But here's the thing: like, Leo's not any of. Though. I bet you think that, but I'll bet you that it does not. Abby, like twenty might as well be zero. What I'm saying is that if these companies that don't do the things that they're going to say, we're like, oh, let's do profitability. Like, if they don't, they don't, and then that's it. Shine. It's the Japanese for they, I know, and they just fired their 800 people. To help with that. How much is 800 people? 800 times 200 is what? $16 million a year. Is that enough? No. So here's, so Tony's been right on this one. Um, and I will say the, a big problem with Twilio now is if they do achieve profitability in the fourth quarter and say next year is their full quarter, like their full year of profitability where they're showing it consistently. The big problem is they're going to be showing profitability when their growth rate slows to the 20%. Now it could be upper 20s, but- right. Then you get in a situation where people, Joey, so they can't. Yeah, you get in a situation where the growth rate's no longer flashy, like when it's growing 60, 70, 50 percent, all that stuff. If their growth rate decelerates into the 20s, they're just turning into profitability. Then the multiple seems so extended on an earnings basis when you've got other companies growing the top line faster that have been profitable for years that you compare those two. It's like, okay, this seems like a better investment than Twilio now. And, you know, I've loved Twilio for a very long time, own it for a very long time. Um, I no longer own it. I sold it, that nine, I actually don't own it either, but it's obviously one I'm always watching. I sold that 90, so I, I'm feeling good right now, but I, it's gotta be bottoming out. Like, I bet you 60? think, I think six. Avi, I'm telling you, dude, if the market cracks 36.50 and the market goes down to where like the most luck. Well, and, and honestly, like the way they make money is companies spending money, you know, and push notifications and well, yeah, and, ads it, and things like it, that. This all, this all comes back. Ad back, right? So, 
Yeah. This all comes back to timing of companies and when they choose to make these big decisions. Like, like Twilio had it become profitable during all like, you know, the pandemic and everything like consistently and like had long-term prospects for keeping that going. It'd be fine. We have a different conversation. Look, look at the trade desk. The trade desk is a perfect example of what you want to see. That company came out of nothing. Like right, it was one seventeen, fifteen dollars or whatever before all this pandemic crash bounce, all this stuff. They've they not only split at the best possible point that they could split, genius move. So that saved them on liquidity for falling. That's number one. Number two, they were always focused on lay growth of profit profitability. And so they are at 63 right now. That is great. That is fantastic. TTD is a 10 or 10 out of 10, just because of that. Because they split at the right time with the management decision was being right. And they're not dying on their, like, whatever the market's doing now, it's holding that earnings gap. And that's like a huge thing I know that we were talking about on many other pods. Like, look at the companies that are holding above where that report, their most recent report is. You look at Net holding above. You look at Mealy. Literally, Mealy is bussing. You look at Net, Mealy, Cloud, uh, CrowdStrike. You even look at Snow, right? Like you have all these companies that are holding the line. Everything that's not holding the line is dead. Okay. It's that simple. I think. So <laughs> yeah, you do make a good point. So like one thing is, you know, I was doing what I always do, like you know, reevaluating all my positions, see you know where I'd rather have my money parked, especially if things get much rockier in the next twelve months. CrowdStrike's one that easily passed the test. Uh, right. You know, you've got. I think my largest positions are like the ultimate keeping it simple, stupid method where it's like, you know, CrowdStrike, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, I think Disney's in there. So, you know, it's companies that I could justify owning even in the most difficult of times because I know they'll be fine long-term. I, I still own MongoDB, but that's even another one that I'm like reconsidering. Like, you know, would this capital be better repositioned elsewhere if, you know, their growth decelerates as they turn the corner on profitability? So like, uh, you know, I've owned these companies for years. I have, you know, massive gains on them, whatever. I don't care about those. I think what's going to be best over the next five years or the next, even like, you know, what's going to be not as rocky over the next 12 months and still give me significant upside over the next five years. So like CrowdStrike is one of those easy ones, like cybersecurity is becoming a bigger issue than ever. You know, it seems to get worse every single day. And CrowdStrike is just the gold standard right up there with Palo Alto Networks, which is another one I'm like considering you know, would I rather own, you know, the top two players in the space that are differentiated enough to justify owning both or, you know, just continue adding to another. Now, I do love Mercado Libre, but I do have worries about them as we enter this global recession because, you know, they have such a huge position in the Latin American market. You know, they are more price sensitive consumers where if, you know, uh, unemployment becomes a major issue down there, then, or, or you'd say inflation takes off more than expected, that could be one that takes a direct hit. Now, the good thing is that Shopee, you know, was growing very quickly in a lot of those Latin American countries and they did shut down those operations to at least, you know, brought them down. But yeah, so like, you do have a lot of these companies holding line and I think, you know, you kind of look at like a crowd strike and those are the types of names where, you know, they're still growing fast. They've got the free cash flow. And, you know, like the, the story is still playing out and the total addressable market's expanding that you could justify beefing those positions. And it's one of those companies that I can sleep well at night knowing, you know, it's my number one position where if, if yeah, say like a, a Netflix were a top position, it's not something you could sleep as well owning. Joe, yeah, here's my, here's my counter to the Mealy thing of like the potential, like it's not going to hold the line. All the changes in FX that would have affected Mealy already happened. Like, I'm not saying it can't further happen, but like we've already had multiple months of multiple quarters of absolute insanity against FX pairs all around the world and commodities and everything you could possibly like people moving money into the US as much as they can. Mealy beat by 100% on EPS. Like, I, in my opinion, if it gets worse, Mealy's fine. Yeah. So that's the one thing I will say is they have a heck of a management team and a, a heck of a business. And it does, you know, it is very profitable. It's going to become even more profitable in the years ahead that, yeah, this is a company that I absolutely love the fundamental case for it over the long term. But yeah, I, I do think it could go either way near term, but, you know, they have constantly delivered. So why would they not deliver, 
you know, as, as, you know, over the next 12 months. So, and they have Goldman money. And they got Goldman money and they got PayPal money a couple of years and back, they, right? Yeah. Uh, All right, Avi, we'll get uh, back to you now. Well, I was saying we should wrap it up. Actually, there's two, there's two things I want to touch on, Avi. I got a bunch of charts here that I've just been looking at because, you know, a lot of them go against each other, but it all makes sense. So, you know, take from it what you will. So there's a chart. I know uh, Peru posted this where uh, he's saying, you know, like the Nasdaq's closing in on this like 40 week EMA kind of situation. And historically, yeah, that works. But if that breaks, great line to know that it's going to get far worse. So that's one thing. The second thing, S&P generated a 50 to one downside to upside decline average ratio. And that's occurred 18 times since 95. Historically, 120 days later, the S&P gained in price 100% of the time with a median gain of 17%. Take with that what you will. Because then here's the other, here's the fun. So 40 week sentiment has never been bearish than before, ever. Like has just, it has simply not. So that's, that's ridiculous, right? Like in retail investor sentiment is as bad as it's ever been. That's one more thing to note. Second, we have the most highest by an absolute like insane mile of hedges that were bought like you know a few weeks ago kind of situation. And obviously most of the hedges are, you know, they're not a year plus out, right? Like so we had this monthly OPEX which was quarter watching which was last Friday. Was all that selling? just to get those hedges, you know, like in, in price and then we bounce from there. Who knows? Let's see. But those are just all things I want to think about. And the last thing is the housing market. Okay. You can, you could have, you know, bought your, your home in the peak of the crash at 1.8% fixed or so two per whatever, very low. You can buy T-bills now that give you 4%. And I saw this tweet. This guy's like, my T-bills are literally paying for my house. Insanity. And that just is just chirping away from the feds like what they got in their pocket that's ridiculous that's another thing to think about too but then you go and you look into what's actually on the balance sheet how many like swaps mbs's all these things that are on the balance sheet and what happens when we get this housing collapse and it's coming and it's already happening and i called this like back in july like that was the top and i think that like you know you're getting these mortgage rates out the wazoo now over six percent and it's People were doing the same thing. Like if you saw like the Michael Burry. Uh, I was going to say, call you Tony Burry. Sorry. No, I mean, that's why I, I said this back in like July, whatever. Like it's all reflected. You know, it's sad. It's people like me are, are secretly like cheering for, you know, housing crash. People that have not bought a home. Right. But here's the problem, Avi. When the housing crashes, like, you know, people, lose, yeah, people will lose their jobs and everything gets more expensive because it's reflexive, right? Like the housing prices go down because inflation went so high and assets can move up and down. But it's a lot harder for things on the shelf to move up and down in price because selling is all about anchoring. You anchor somebody to $7 for milk. You don't have to change it back. So you know what all of this is, Tony? It's just how, behavioral finance. How, how the cookie uh, crumbles. Why do you host? <laughs> <laughs> I think you said that like three or four times. Earnings I know. Next week. We got earnings next week. Nothing too crazy. AutoZone on Monday. General Mills, KB Home on Wednesday. Accenture, Darden, and then Costco is actually probably the biggest one of the week on Thursday. So, Joey, I know you were mentioning, don't forget Costco. I'm interested to see what we hear from companies like AutoZone, General Mills, and Costco, just because such a great pulse of the consumer. You know, we were talking about, or you were tweeting at somebody, you know, about Home Depot and Lowe's on Twitter. And so I, I've been looking at Home Depot very closely because it's one of the situations where people aren't buying and selling homes. They're staying put. So they're going to be fixing up on their own. So you see the demand on like the retail side, but then you see a decrease on the pro side of the business. So it's always why like Home Depot is that steady eddy, constant, you know, monster that, that always seems to figure it out because you know, if one side starts fading, the other side picks up. And you see like AutoZone is always one of those where you, know, you got their constant people that are always fixing cars on their own. Or if people aren't buying and selling cars, they're going to be fixing up their own. I've been in AutoZone twice in the last week because I had batteries crap out on me. So it, it's one of those where I'm very interested to see what they say. And, the, and same with Costco, you know, they always seem to figure it out regardless of the time. They I don't know if they'll have good commentary on what they're seeing inflation wise, but you know, Darden's going to have the same situation before the market opens on Thursday where you'll have a really good feel for 
you know, at what food prices are doing. Another one you can always look at is like Chipotle because they always have good commentary on that front. So um, other than that, KB Homes, you know, even see where housing is at. And I saw, I think it was Unusual Whales had posted, you know, some crazy put volume in KB Homes. So someone's expecting that thing to crap the bed. But I, I will like to see what they have to say on the housing front. And, you know, we always get the Redfin report, the drop in mortgage demand or, or all this stuff. So hearing it directly from a home builder is always good since, I mean, that's no more boots on the ground than that. I got something to add, Joey. You know how the car market was like incredible and you could just make money dumping on Carvana, which is why they died like Zillow and like everything else. You know, you could flip a car all day long for three times what you paid for it if you just added a little niceness to it. Like you could buy like a $2,000 car a couple of years ago and then you could have flipped it for like 10 easy, right? Like a Honda Civic from the A9 was like 10 grand. So like, People were spending money on auto parts, and I'm sure that they raised the price of auto parts because supply chain constraints and all this. Now, those, I mean, I'm sure their inflation's carried it up, but people are not doing as much with cars these days. And like we have this change that's continuing to grow. Tesla crushing, right? Like Tesla's almost at what they did last year, this year already for the halfway mark. You don't need to do anything in AutoZone for my Tesla. I've never been to AutoZone. So I don't, I don't know, man. Do these companies all die? I think so. Everything to zero. You heard it here first. No, man. It, I think this is this is this is the reset. This is when things change. This well, is when this is another situation. If people long term can't afford homes or cars, where you know the whole you own nothing and like it. If people don't own the cars, and you know it's all Teslas or lease or something like that, there will be no retail demand for it's that. The robo taxis yeah. from Tesla, driven by the Tesla robots. I swear yeah. on everything. Tony's making some bold calls this pod, but it could make some great clips 10 years from now if uh, everything happens that he's saying. Well, in five years, I'm going to look at Meta's price at zero, as Tony mentioned. So but here's the thing, Avi. What happens in 10 years when the singularity happens? And then like, if you don't have the best- I'm trying to make it to Thanksgiving. So with that being said, Pounders, I think we should wrap it up. Tony, any last final haikus for the audience? Work. Yeah, you have two levels. You have, if we break- this, I mean, honestly, 3,800 right here, 38, what is it, 38, 38, 38, 40 on the S&P. That is a large volume shelf. That is a dive to the future, to the lows in June. If those break, obviously it's going 3,400. So there's that. However, I think a lot of what happened in the last like little while, like the, the, the what's going on next week with the raise, whatever happens there, CPI, this and that, everything. I wonder how much of that was factored in with last week as the Nasdaq had its worst week of the year. So we'll see. But I think it's just crucial to understand that the terrible market is showing you what is not so terrible. And that's the only thing you should focus on. If it's terrible, leave it. Don't even touch it. If it's not terrible, look at it and figure out what to do there. But I think that it's really, really hard to say like, oh, it's all going to go to zero because like certain things will, certain things won't. And those things will go way higher because they'll take the value of what went to zero. So you got to think like now that this is going to be like the change, like the pandemic crash created a change. This is a very different crash. It will create a different change. And technology has been moving along this entire time. And like with all the issues we have of people needing so many more part-time jobs just to keep up, those are going to start going away more and more. Even if those get filled now, those will go away in like five years. So we have like a really, really difficult time in the world. And so for the market in general, like you got to look at the companies that are just like what Joey was saying, as easy as it is. And that is the only thing, right? Like you can, you can trade whatever. If the market turns around, the shitty companies will go higher than the good ones. So there's a lot of different things that are going on there. But all I know is for right now, you just got to look at those main levels because the market will rule all price rules, everything around me. So it's all you got to look at. Love it. All right. Give us a follow on social media, follow stock twits. Again, I got a separate podcast that I popped up with Spread Investor for week two betting. If you're interested in the NFL, we'll post that as well. Other than that, Joey, anything else to say before we wrap this week up? I would just say, you know, continue to revisit all your positions. Make sure, you know, your portfolio is bulletproof because I kind of would echo what Druckenmiller says. We have no idea what's going to happen over the next six to 12 months. Things aren't looking all that great. So just make sure you're invested in the best of the best. And, uh, you know, keep it simple, stupid. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. 
Yeah. Make a play, don't talk about it. Master P, I'm about it, about it. This one here for all that try to count me out and they still counting. Honestly, I never doubt it. Say the top is never crowded. Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I need a few accountants. Sock is rising, perfect timing. I'm in brickle with the tribe. Shawty sliding, she won't 